this this episode was just a giant list of all labs and why they're important and the, their clinical ranges. Exactly. And the better you get as a nurse, the more experience you get, the more you critically think, and you'll start picking up on which lab values you need for what cases, for what disease processes, because you're not always going to need every single thing from top and bottom with the doctor orders. You leave that for them to troubleshoot and diagnose the patient. You just worry about the main ones that you need to survive your shift. Oh, I yeah. gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day. Now my family can eat. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show with your hosts, Peter and Matt. Two nurses on a mission to change this world one conversation at a time. If you find value in the show and want to support the show, please review and share. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates, show notes, and merch releases for our Frontline Warriors podcast. You can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we are going to talk about lab values, the lab values we deal in the hospital. We'll go over their normal values, what they signify, and what can happen if they if they are out of their normal range. This is going to be a good episode for any nurses out there that deal with lab values in the mornings or at night is also going to be really good for students as you're going to need to know these labs to pass your exams, pass nursing school, and eventually pass your NCLEX. This was a good refresher just doing it for the show. So anybody that's listening as far as nursing students, lab values are part of your everyday life as a nurse. If you're usually working bedside, you're going to get a report. Sometimes they shoot out a few labs depending on what unit you're working. And then when you sit down after you look at your orders, you're always going over electrolytes and labs because things do get missed. How many times has a nurse missed a 4 a.m. potassium or mag repeat and you're going yeah. back and trying to troubleshoot it, usually for the night shift here, and to make sure you're the K or the mag, whatever is replaced. So good episode for anybody that has to deal with labs. It's going to be a good refresher. Yeah, first and foremost, we'll go over the electrolytes. Those are like the main labs you look at in the mornings. Like Matt mentioned, uh, electrolytes, we get those every morning, every six hours, every time we give potassium or mag, we always check our, our lights. So potassium. Uh, is one of the most important electrolytes. It's responsible for regulating fluid balance, muscle contractions, and also nerve signals. Some of these values might be a little bit different by by a few, maybe up, let's just say like 0.1 or 0.2 of, of units because some hospitals have different, different standards. But for the most part, in normal potassium, you're going to have a range of between 3.5 and 5. Anything higher than that is considered hyperkalemia, which is going to be signaled as Heart arrhythmias, you might get some numbness, tingling, some respiratory issues, and as well as for hypokalemia, which is anything below 3.5, you're going to maybe see some muscle weakness, fatigue, and also some heart arrhythmias. Every time you think of potassium, you think of, think of the heart. And also some clinical problems you might encounter, let's just say for hyperkalemia, if it's above 5.0, you're going to maybe have acute renal failure, maybe having a crushed or burnt injuries, if you're working trauma, and also you're gonna have acidosis. When it's anything below 3.5, your hypokalemic state, you're going to have possibly vomiting, diarrhea, dehydration, malnutrition, gastric issues, and uh, too much diuresis. And sometimes if you pull your gastric contents out of your, your bowels too quickly, like if you have um, like a suction going on, low intermittent suction, that can also cause you to have hypokalemia because you're going to pull that potassium out of your GI tract. Yeah, potassium is one of the most common electrolytes that we always look at. Any single time you have a cardiac issue, diabetes when they're in DKA, to even belly surgeries, we're always checking replacing potassium. The next one is going to be sodium. So sodium plays an important role in your body. It maintains a normal blood pressure. It supports all your nervous and muscle cells and regulates blood fluid balance. So normal range is 135 to 145. If it becomes hypernatremic, you might be experiencing lethargy, myoclonic jerks, confusion, nystagmosis, tachycardia, and confusion. When you have hyponatremia, you might be experiencing nausea and vomiting, lethargy, seizures, and neurological deficits. When it comes to high levels, that could be due to dehydration, severe vomiting, diarrhea, heart failure, hepatic failure, and Cushing syndrome. 
And for these most common electrolytes, you're always going to experience things as far as like diarrhea or vomiting when it's hypo, hyper, because those are the main electrolytes that get dumped out when you're experiencing those symptoms. When you have a decrease in uh, sodium, you might be experiencing things as far as vomiting, diarrhea, gastric solutions, patients on D5W as far as fluids and SIADH. And for me, when I think of, of sodium, I always think neuro. If I where the major things with sodium, major changes, hyperkalemia, hypokalemia, you're going to, uh, or sorry, hypernutremia, hyponutremia, you're going to have these, these brain issues because you're majority of the time dealing with fluid. And if you pull too much fluid out, at uh, least to, like you said, seizures, all the kind of neural stuff. So when you think of uh, potassium, think of the heart. When you think of sodium, you think of, of, of the brain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was just going to say, any mm. single time you have low sodium, you're going to be having fluid restrictions. And usually it's, you're giving 3% saline sometimes. And just like you said, neurological changes, they might be becoming lethargic or confused. Usually the neurologist always does like Q2, Q4, I would say. Mm when it's like the step-down units. Yeah, next we have calcium. Calcium is a mineral that is necessary for life. In addition to building bones and keeping them healthy, calcium enables our blood to clot, our muscles to contract, and our heart to beat. So when you think of calcium, always keep in mind the bones and contractions. So your skeletal system and then your muscles as well. Those are the two major things that, they're, that calcium is responsible for. Anything within normal range is going to be from 8.5 to 10.2. For hyperkalemia, some signs you're going to have is bone pain, muscle weakness, excessive thirst, lethargy, and nausea. For hypokalemia, anything below 8.5, you're going to have, as a sign, numbness, tingling in the fingertips usually, muscle cramps, wheezing, and some fatigue. Some of the clinical problems you might encounter, so with hyperkalemia, anything that has an increased level, it's going to be maybe a hyperparathyroid hyperparathyroid issues, so hyperparathyroidism might be, might be a problem going on, neoplasma of the bone, lung, breast, kidney, multiple myelomas, and prolonged immobilization. For a decrease in levels, uh, diarrhea, malabsorption of the calcium, and hypoparathyroidism. So for the increased levels, you're going to see hyperparathyroidism. For the lower one, you're going to see hypoparathyroidism. Because your parathyroid gland is responsible for for the functioning of your calcium, so you're going to have a lot of issues going out with that. And the next one is chloride, and this is also another important electrolyte, even though for the most part as a nurse, you're kind of skipping this one over, but does have some significant importance. So it helps keep the amounts of fluid inside and out of, outside of your cells in balance. It also helps maintain proper volume in the blood, the blood pressure, the pH, and your body fluids. A normal range is 95 to 105, when you have hyperchloremia, you might be experiencing diarrhea, vomiting, fatigue, dry mucous membrane. And for hypochloremia, you might be experiencing diarrhea, vomiting, weakness, and dehydration. The clinical picture with hyperchloremia might be dehydration, hypernutremia, so salt and chloride usually have the same. Um, they're, they're both going to be high if sodium is high and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So they're in parallel. Uh, head injury and metabolic acidosis. For hypochloremia, you might be experiencing vomiting, gastric suction, diarrhea, hypokalemia. Magnesium, uh, the next one on the list. So when you think of magnesium, also think of your heart. When you think of your heart and contractility, always think of potassium, magnesium. That's why those are always like the major ones that we draw because they directly affect your, your heart function. So magnesium helps to maintain normal nerve and muscle function, supports a healthy immune system, keeps the heartbeat steady, and helps bones remain strong. It also helps adjust blood glucose levels. It aids in the production of energy and protein. So any, so for the range for the mag level, it's going to be anywhere from 1.5 to 2. In hypermagnesia, so hypermag, you're going to have diminished deep tendon reflexes, flushing of the face and body, headache, nausea, and drowsiness. With hypomag, going to have muscle weakness, twitches or tremors, irritability, insomnia, and drowsiness. For your clinical problems and increased mag, anything above two, you might be having severe dehydration, renal failure, or actually even leukemia. A decreased level, you're going to see protein malnutrition, malabsorption, cirrhosis of the liver, alcoholism, and also hypokalemia as well. So sometimes 
sometimes there's a saying in in nursing that if your mag isn't leveled out first, it's going to be hard for you to get your potassium to a steady level too. That's why usually when your potassium is low, your mag is sometimes also low. But I've had some instances where I would be replenishing potassium throughout the whole night and it's not moving much, but then the mag might be with a normal level, but we tried to make it a two. Let's say it's like a, like a 1.8. Sometimes we give them more mag to hit that two just to help that potassium also uh, increase. That's also like a, like a fun fact. So when we think of potassium and mag, always think of, think of the heart. Yeah, and makes sense because with DK, you're chasing both of those electrolytes. And then also another good fact is for the cardiac patients, most cardiologists in the places that we work, they always want K above four and MAG above two when it comes to any uh, cardiovascular cases. The next electrolyte is phosphorus. So it's a mineral that makes up 1% of the person's total body weight. It is the second most abundant mineral in the body. It's present in every single cell of the body and most amounts of phosphorus is found in the bone and the teeth. A normal level is 2.5 to 4.5. If you have hyperphosphatemia, you might be experiencing osteoporosis and you're at risk of cardiovascular disease. For hypophosphatemia, you might be experiencing signs as changes in mental state, bone pain, fragility, fatigue, weight loss, and weakness. Clinical pictures, any single time it's increased, it's usually due to renal failure, hypocalcemia, and hypoparathyroidism. For decreased levels, you might be experiencing starvation, so malnutrition, hypercalcemia, hypomagnesemia, and chronic alcoholism. Same thing with these electrolytes that usually get replaced when mag is low, so it works in a bi-directional level. And for the patients, as far as like ETOH abuses, we always see this electrolyte low as well. Yeah. Also, ammonia, this is the one that we're more concerned of, of if it's elevated. A lot of times if someone is confused, we check their ammonia level in a hospital. So Ammonia is a waste product made by your body during the digestion of proteins. Our normal level is anywhere from 15 to 50. Hyperammonianemia, signs are going to be lethargy, especially in our alcohol withdrawal patients, rapid or heavy breathing, and also altered mental status. So when you think of ammonia, always think of maybe some kind of confusion, because that's always a good thing to check when your patient is randomly confused, if they're not normally sound downing or you give them a lot of different, different medications. Some clinical problems you might see for an increased level, hepatic failure, high protein diet with liver failure, and also acidosis. Yeah, ammonia is the one that you give uh, lactulose, right? Mm. Stinky. Yeah, yeah. And any single time you have a patient that's confused, it's also nice to check back to see if they had ammonia level drawn. I think a handful of times there was confusion, but we never ruled out high ammonia levels mm. when it comes to uh, metabolic or not neurologic encephalopathy. The next one is uric acid. So it's a chemical that gets created when the body breaks down substances called purines. Purines are normally produced in the body and also are found in some food and drink. So a normal level is 0.18 to 0.48. High signs may show you that there's joint pain, joint stiffness, redness, and swelling. Clinical picture, you might have either gout, alcoholism, severe preeclampsia, or renal failure. And that's why our patients that have renal failure usually complain of a lot of pain and they have, they have stiffness and it's hard to turn them, they're in pain. It's just the development of high uric acid levels that's creating the stiffness in their bones. Mm. Yeah, or even gout. A lot of times I've patients know that, hey, I'm having a gout flare up. Or this one's that patient came in and said they had this, this, specific, um, this specific meal and they know that they have a lot of this food, uh, it increases their uric acid and it gives them gout. So sometimes they could even like predicted they're gonna have a yeah. gout, some gout pain going on. Uh, creatinine, another really important one. It is a res it is a waste product by produced by muscles from the breakdown of a compound called creatinine. Creatinine is removed from the body by the kidneys. So this is one of the major things you look at for for the status of how well our kidneys are working. So our normal level is anywhere from zero point eight to one point three. Some of the signs. You might see if it's high, you're going to have nausea, muscle cramps, vomiting, fatigue, hypertension. So it's going to affect your kidneys. So if it's a high level, something's going on where your kidneys aren't able to, to filter the stuff properly. A clinical problem for the increased level is going to be hypothyroidism, CKD, intense exercise like rhabdo, dehydration, and also the clinical problem for a 
decreased level is going to possibly be renal impairment, renal impairment hyperthyroidism, or also ALS. The next one's BUN. So it's the end product of protein metabolism that gets excreted by the kidneys. This is also another marker to check kidney function. High signs may include symptoms such as frequent urination, itching, muscle cramps, and fatigue. Clinical problem for increased BUN, you're going to see dehydration, potentially GI bleeding, pre-renal failure, acute MI, sepsis, or shock. For the decreased levels, you might be experiencing severe liver damage, overhydration, or malnutrition. Next one is specific gravity. We don't do this one a whole, whole lot, but usually when someone comes with like a fluid imbalance and we're trying to figure out what's exactly going on, this is when we usually look at the urine-specific gravity. So a urine-specific gravity test compares the density of urine to density of water. This is a quick test that can help determine how well your kidneys are diluting your urine. Normal level is anywhere from 1.01 to 1.03. If it's elevated, some of the signs you might have is dehydration, diabetes, proteinuria, and SIADH. And for the lower levels, the signs you're going to see is maybe polydipsia, diabetes insipidus, overuse of diuretics, and also early signs of CKD. The next one is LDH, lactic dihydrogenase. So it's an intracellular enzyme that's present in nearly all metabolizing cells with a high concentration in the heart, skeletal muscle, liver, kidney, brain, and RBCs. A normal level is 50 to 150. If there's increased levels that your patient might be experiencing in acute MI, PE, sepsis, shock, CVA, or sickle cell anemia. Yeah, this is like an interesting one because sometimes it's elevated and nothing really going on. But when it is elevated and it's consistently getting elevated, you're like, damn, patient's probably going down. Some, some, yeah, some is brewing, some is brewing for sure. The next section of our labs, we're going to go over some of the labs that you need to know for hematology. So first foremost, we're going to start with the RBC, the red blood cell. The reticulocyte count is an indicator of bone marrow activity. It's a sign of your, your bone marrow health in a sense. A normal level is between 4.5 to 5 million. An increased level, you might be having sickle cell, hemolytic anemia, or any kind of leukemia. A decreased level might be having anemia, radiation therapy. A lot of patients that are going on a radiation for their cancer have a low RBC count. You might be a post-hemorrhage, sources of the liver. Um, and also something to note is that long-term alcoholism suppresses reticulocyte formation. That's a good fun fact. Mm -hmm. Next one is WBC's white count part. And there's also, it's part of the complete blood count. It's composed of five different WBCs, but the main one, the normal level is five to 10,000. If there is an increased level in your WBCs, you're thinking always infection. So something acute happening or inflammatory diseases such as RA, rheumatoid arthritis, gout, any kind of tissue damage as well, acute MI or burns. If you have a decreased level in your WBCs, you might be thinking leukemia or the patients on immunosuppressant agents. Hmm. Next one is... Platelets, also referred to as thrombocytes, they, they are basic elements in blood and they promote coagulation. So when you have an open cut, a wound, first thing there is going to be platelets coming in to kind of seal that, that wound. A normal level is anywhere from 200,000 to about 400,000. For an increased level, you might be seeing polycythemia vera, trauma, acute blood loss, and also metastatic carcinoma, any kind of cancers. So cancer in general, they completely throw out your whole hematology system. So whenever someone has cancer, all their labs are out of whack, but that's kind of like their new normal, you could say. With a decreased level, you might see multiple myelomas, anemias, leukemias, liver disease, lupus, might have somebody going through DIC and also cirrhosis. The next one is hemoglobin, and hemoglobin is responsible for transportation of oxygen to the cells. A normal level for, for males is 13 to 17 grams. For females, it's 12 to 15 grams. Any single time you have an increased level of hemoglobin, you th you're thinking dehydration due to lack of fluids, polycythemia, COPD, heart failure, and severe burns. For decreased levels of hemoglobin, you're thinking anemias, there's a hemorrhage happening, cirrhosis of the liver, leukemia, Hodgkin's disease, or kidney disease. Mm -hmm. Hematocrit follows suit with the, with the hemoglobin. The hemoglobin is a ratio 
of the volume of red blood cells to the volume of all the other components of your blood together, called whole blood. The value is expressed as a percentage or a fraction. So for males, it's anywhere from 40% to 52%, and then for females, anywhere between 36% and also 47%. Any kind of increase in a level, you might have somebody going through dehydration, hypovolemia, severe diarrhea, diabetic acidosis, and maybe also some burns. With a decreased level, it might be due to acute blood loss, anemias, RA, lupus, CKD, and also cirrhosis. The next one is PTT. So any single time you're thinking about this lab value, it's always about heparin. And sometimes hospitals have the updated PTT, which is the anti-XA factor mm -hmm. that we look into. So you may, or be, you may or may not be using PTTs for heparin. So that's partial thromboplastin time, PTT. It's a blood test that takes a look at how long it takes for you to form a blood clot. It helps to tell if your patient has bleeding problems or if you don't clot properly. A normal level is 25 to 35 seconds. If you're on heparin, you want that range to be increased by 1.5 to 2.5 times that range. Increased levels, uh, there could be signs of hemophilia, cirrhosis, vitamin K deficiency, von Welle-Brand disease, and DIC. And PTT goes hand-to-hand -hand with PT, such as prothrombin time. Prothrombin is synthesized by, by the liver and is an inactive precursor in the clotting process. So same way, uh, same thing that PTT does, PT also follows. So if you have an increased level, it could be due to liver disease, clotting factor issues like factor two deficiency, heart failure, and also leukemias. A decreased state, you might have thrombophlebitis, MI, or even, even a PE. Because remember, the, it, it have, one thing about hematology I forgot to mention in the beginning is when you think hematology, I mentioned a cancer, but also with that is going to be your liver. So hematology is all basically cancer and liver related, later for, the, for like the, the most part. That's why you're going to see a lot of issues with these lab values. If they start to trend in the wrong direction, it's going to be a lot of cancers and you're going to see a lot, hear a lot of like liver problems. Yeah. And also we could add on, sometimes we're experiencing the kidney problems as well, mm. where we're giving the patient, is it EPO? The one medication where they're trying to help the kidneys produce RBCs. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, epochorotin, but I think that's, that's not for kidneys though, for, yeah, for the kidneys or for the liver. There's, there's, somebody has like usually some lack of RBC production and you gotta give them this, this EPO to help stimulate the, the function of the, of the RBCs. Yeah. I think it affects like the kidneys, the liver, and also bone marrow because all those yeah. have, have a role with, with the uh, production of red blood cells. Yeah. It's hard, you gotta be the memorized bank as a nurse for every right. little disease process and it becomes blurry sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's why this is an amazing refresher. The next one is INR, International Normalized Ratio. It is a laboratory the measure, measurement of how long it takes for you to form a blood clot. Normally you're monitoring patients that are on Coumadin, AKA Warfarin. A normal level is 0 0.9 to 1.2. If you're on Coumadin, it's going to be anywhere from 1.5 to 3. Uh, next column is reticulocytes. These are your immature red blood cells called PRBCs. So these go from PRBCs to then a fully functional RBC. A normal range for that is 0.5 to 1.5%. And the reason why we look at that is the same way we look at RBCs. If you have a low set amount of PRBCs, then there's something going on where you cannot produce enough, enough of RBCs. So you're going to see the same exact stuff as mentioned. Uh, previously with the with the issues with the, with the RBCs. And when it comes to all these different white blood cells we're gonna go over next, it's just a sign of infection. And depending on, on what the what the um, what white blood cell is, is changing, that's kind of how we treat the, the infection. Yeah, normally we just look at the whole, but for doctors, anybody that's more in depth into knowledge, you might be looking at specific ones to try to see what's, what's happening, how acute this infection mm -hmm. is, is there a parasite? So the first one is neutrophils. They're the most common circulating w WBCs. Any single time they're increased, we're thinking inflammation or any tissue injury. Our normal range is two to eight. Next on WBC list are your bands. Those are your basophils. They increase during the cleaning process. They are also a type of a blood cell that defends your body from allergens. So when you think of basophils, you could usually think of like a histamine release. You think of your, your allergies. A normal range for the bands anywhere from less than one times 10 to the ninth per liter. Next one is lymphocytes. 
any single time there's going to be increase, you're thinking chronic or viral infections. A normal range is one to four. Monocytes, this is your second line of defense. They're larger and stronger than neutrophils and can digest larger particles and debris. Normal range anywhere from 0.2 to 0.8. Next one is eosinophils. These increase during allergic and parasitic conditions. A normal range is less than 0.5. Next on your list is going to be more of your diabetic labs here. So HbA1c, the hemoglobin A1c test tells you your average level of blood sugar over the past two or three months. So you know how you have maybe patients come in and get their labs drawn and their blood checked. So just because they have a good blood sugar upon admission, like they say the blood sugar is 89, oh, it's great. That gives you maybe like an idea of what they ate in the last couple hours. But then when you check their, their HbA1c, it, it shows you their average blood sugars for the last two or three months. So that could actually tell you a lot more than just like a, like a finger stick because yeah, it might be good for this hospital visit because maybe they ate, ate healthy while, while they're waiting to come in, but their HbA1c might be elevated and you, you know they're not doing as well as you, you think they are. Um, so this for normal test, is, a normal level for this is anywhere less than 6.5%. And to go hand in hand with that is glucose. It's a simple sugar that's used as an energy source in the human body. Anything else gets stored and converted as glycogen in the liver and skeletal cells. Our normal range is anywhere from 70 to 110. If there's increase in glucose, you're thinking diabetes, diabetic acidosis, or Cushing's syndrome. Decreased level is hypoglycemia and malnutrition. So for patients that have diabetes, you might be pushing or giving them first some carbs, 15 grams. If not, we're going for the half an amp of D50. Mm. Yep, good old hypoglycemia. Make sure you um, adhere to your hospital protocol because some hospitals require you to check blood sugar no earlier than 15 minutes or five minutes. So that was a really big deal at our last hospital. Yeah, they were literally monitoring nurses. You have to chart exactly on the 15 minute mark. There was um, reports all the time who didn't get the hypoglycemia yeah. protocol down. And it's a big thing. I think it's a standard now that the hospitals are getting uh, audited for. Mm -hmm. Yep. The next set of labs are going to go over some of our gastrointestinal labs. A lot of this is going to have to do with, once again, deliver your tests and just all your whole GI, GI tract, GI system. The first one on this on this list with our uh, gastrointestinal labs is going to be bilirubin. So the most basic thing for bilirubin is it's formed from the breakdown of hemoglobin by the reticuloendothelial system. So you have a breakdown of hemoglobin, which then produces this, this bilirubin. A normal level for direct bilirubin is anywhere from zero to six, and then your total bilirubin is anywhere from two to 20. Increased levels, you might have obstructive jaundice caused by stones, hepatitis, cirrhosis, and liver cancer. A decreased level you're most likely going to see is with an iron deficiency anemia. So if you don't have a properly functioning liver, you're going to see a, a high bilirubin in your patients. The next lab is albumin. It is a protein that's made by the liver. Albumin helps keep fluid in your bloodstream so it doesn't leak into the other tissues. It also carries various substances throughout our body, including hormones, vitamins, and enzymes. Our normal level is anywhere from 35 to 50. Any single time you have an increase in albumin, you're thinking dehydration, severe vomiting, severe diarrhea, decreased levels. You're going to have cirrhosis of the liver, acute liver failure, severe burns, severe malnutrition, preeclampsia, re renal disorders, and prolonged immobil immobilization. ALT and AST are next. Those are like your first line of checking if you have any kind of liver issues. ALT, AST is an enzyme found primarily in the liver cells and is effective in diagnosing hepatocellular destruction, so any kind of liver issues. If your AST, ALT are, are out of whack, it's gonna be some kind of a liver issue. A normal level is anywhere from five to 30. Increased levels will be shown during acute hepatitis or viral hepatitis, necrosis of the liver due to any kind of drugs or, or chemical toxicities. Anything that has to do to damage that, with damaging your liver, you're going to see an elevated AST and ALT. The next two are going to be more related to the pancreas. So the first one's mylase. Mylase is an enzyme that is de derived from the pancreas, the salivary glands, and the liver. 
Its function is to change starch to sugar, a normal level is 30 to 125, an increased level can show symptoms or problems as acute pancreatitis, obstruction of the pancreatic duct, acute cholecystitis, diabetic acidosis, diabetic mellitus, and renal failure. Lipase goes hand with hand with amylase. So lipase, it's also an enzyme that's secreted by the pancreas, helps with digesting fats and appears in a bloodstream following damage to the, the pancreas. So we're going to have this, this showing and elevated if there is some kind of pancreatic damage. An increased level might be due to acute or chronic pancreatitis, cancer of the pancreas, and any kind of obstructions. Next, we're gonna go into the hormone section. So the first one is hydroxyprogesterone. It is a hormone that's made in the adrenal glands, which are the two glands that sit above the kidney. And it's a test that's used to check and help diagnose a rare genetic disorder called congenital adrenal hyperplasia. A normal level is 0.2 to 1. Next on the list is something called ACTH, which is adrenal chorotropic hormone. It is made in the pituitary gland. It is needed for your adrenal glands to work properly and help your body react to stress. ACTH stimulates the release of another hormone called cortisol from the cortex of the adrenal glands. A normal range is anywhere from 4.5 to 20. With increased levels, you might see Addison's disease, a higher amount of stress, pituitary neoplasms, or even pregnancy. Congenital adrenal hyperplasia, is abbreviated as CHS, refers to a group of genetic disorders that affect the adrenal glands. A pair of walnut-sized organs above the kidneys, the adrenal glands produce important hormones, including cortisol, which regulates the body's response to illness or stress. So if you have any kind of issues with your ACTH levels, that's directly related to, to cortisol. The next hormone on the list is TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. It is produced by the pituitary gland and it stimulates thyroid gland to produce T3, T4, which stimulates the metabolism of almost every tissue in the body. A normal level is 0.5 to 5. If you have an increased level of TSH, you're going to experience hypothyroidism, acute thyroiditis, viral hepatitis, myasthenia gravis, and preeclampsia. For a decreased level in TSH, you're going to experience hypothyroidism. Uh, when we look at TSH, we also look at thyroxine. The serum T4 levels are commonly used to measure thyroid hormone secretion and function of the thyroid gland. So for example, if your T3 and T4 levels are too low, the pituitary gland will release more TSH. If they're too high, the gland will release less TSH. Normal levels for all these different T's, so for example, T3, it's anywhere from 0.2 to 0.5, free T4, 10 to 20, total T4, 4.9 to 11.7, and total T3, 0.7 to 1.5. Increased levels, you're going to have hyperthyroidism, acute thyroiditis, myasthenia gravis, and also preeclampsia. Decreased levels, you're going to have hypothyroidism and protein malnutrition. The next one is follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. It's a gondotropic hormone produced and controlled by the pituitary gland. It stimulated the growth and the maturation of ovarian follicle to produce estrogen in females and to promote the spermatogenesis in males. A normal level is 1 to 10 in both male and females. If the female is ovulating, it's going to increase to 5 to 25, and post-menopause is 30 to 110. An increased level uh, shows gonadal failure, such as menopause, pituitary tumor, Turner syndrome, and if you have a decreased level, you might have signs such as neoplasm of the ovaries, testes, or the adrenals, polycystic ovarian disease, hypopituitism, and anorexia nervosa. Growth hormone is next on the list, abbreviated as HGH. It's a hormone responsible for regulating growth of the bones and tissues in general. It's regulated by the anterior pituitary gland. Normal level fasting is anywhere from zero to five. Increased levels, you might have giganticism, especially in children, acromegaly, also, any kind of major surgeries might interrupt this, this, uh, this levels.
At the increased level, you might have dwarfism or, all, or also hypopituitarism. The next hormone is progesterone. It is secreted by the corpus luteum, a temporary endocrine gland that the female body produces after ovulation during the second half of the menstrual cycle. A normal level is 70 to 280. If you have an increased level, the clinical picture might be ovulation, pregnancy, ovarian cysts, tumor of the ovary, or adrenal gland. A decreased level of progesterone might show clinical pictures such as gonad dysfunction, luteum deficiency, threatened abortion, and placental failure. Prolactin, this is a hormone produced by your pituitary gland, which sits at the bottom of the brain. Prolactin causes breasts to grow and develop and causes milk to be made after a baby is born. Normal level is less than 14. Increased levels can be due to pregnancy, breastfeeding, pituitary tumor, amenorrhea, hypothalmatic disorder, endometriosis, chronic renal failure, or Addison's disease. A decreased level, you might have postpartum pituitary infarction, which is pretty scary. The last hormone is testosterone. Testosterone is a primary male sex hormone and an anabolic steroid. In the, hum in the male humans, testosterone plays a key role in development of the male reproductive tissues and also promotes secondary sexual characteristic characteristics such as increased muscle, bone mass, and growth of the body hair. Our normal level is 10 to 25. Increased level might show clinical pictures such as adrenal hyperplasia, a tumor, or polycystic ovaries in females. A decreased testosterone level might show testicular hypofunction, alcoholism, or hypopituitism. The next section of our lab is going through your lipids. These are the most common ones we draw usually when you're going for like a doctor's visit. If you're bringing your dad to a doctor, probably do like a lipid panel. So first is your LDL, which is your low density lipoprotein. It is sometimes called the bad cholesterol because a high LDL level leads to a buildup of cholesterol in your arteries. Normal level is anywhere from 85 to 125. There really isn't a significant issue if you have low amounts of LDL in your, in your body. Um, so saturated fat and cholesterol in food you eat make your blood cholesterol level rise. So you, basically if you're anywhere above that, you're consuming too much cholesterol. In your, through your diet, you're eating a lot of maybe uh, meat fats, a lot of vegetable oils, any kind of oils like that. And that's promoting a, a uh, buildup of cholesterol in your, in your arteries, which might lead to MI, heart attack, stroke, all those kind of cardiac issues that you all commonly see in the hospital. The next lipid is HDL, stands for high density lipoproteins. It is sometimes called a good cholesterol because it carries cholesterol from other parts of the body back to the liver. Your liver then removes this cholesterol from your body. A normal level is 40 to 80. Triglycerides are next. Triglycerides are a type of fat found in your blood. When you eat, your body converts any calories it doesn't need to use right away into triglycerides. The triglycerides are stored in your body as fat cells. Normal level is anywhere from 50 to 150. An increased level, you might be having hypolipoproteinemia, an acute MI, hypertension, cerebral thrombosis, or also hypothyroidism. Decreased levels, you might be having hyperthyroidism, hyperparathyroidism, or protein malnutrition. The last lipid on here is your total cholesterol. It is a measure of the total amount of cholesterol, both from the HDL and the LDL. A normal level is 3.5 to 5.5. Next set of labs we're going to go over are your cardiac markers. This is anything related to our cardiovascular system. A lot of this has to do with, with heart damage. So when we look at these, we're looking at some kind of issue with your heart. The first one is your creatinine kinase. It is an enzyme found in the heart, brain, skeletal muscle, and other tissues. Increased amount of CK are released into the bloodstream when there is muscle damage. Our normal range is anywhere from 25 to 200. You might see an increase in level during exercise and inflammation of the muscles called myositis. You might see it in 
pathies such as muscular dystrophies or also rhabdomyolysis. The next marker is troponin. Troponin is a group of proteins found in the skeleton, heart, cardiac muscle fibers that regulate muscle contraction. This is a marker that's used to diagnose cardiac disease and diagnosis of acute MI. A normal level is 0 to 0 0.4. An increased level might show myocardial damage or direct MI. The third one here is your C-reactive protein. It is produced in the liver in response to tissue injury and inflammation. A normal level is anything less than five. With increased levels, you might be seeing chronic infections, cardiovascular and peripheral diseases, also the QMI, any kind of stroke, any kind of inflammatory bowel disease, RA, lupus, or bacterial meningitis. The next marker is D-dimer, is a fibrogen degradation product, a small protein fragment present in the blood after a blood clot is degraded by fibrinolosis. A normal level is less than 500. A clinical picture with increased D-dimer might significantly show DIC, PE, thrombosis, or C19. The last one on the list is your BNP. This is your brain niotriatic peptide. It is a neurohormone secreted primarily in the cardiac ventricles and it will increase in response to volume expansion and pressure overload. So a lot of times with BNP, we always think of fluid overload because every time your ventricles have to expand over, over a set, set limit, you could say, they're going to release more of this BNP. A normal level is anywhere less than 100. With an increased level, you might be having some heart failure, left ventricle hypertrophy, myocarditis, renal failure, prolonged systematic hypertension. Anything that causes your ventricles to, to uh, get bigger, that's going to lead to an elevated BNP. Next on the list of lab values are the tumor markers. The first one is alpha fetoprotein. So serum alpha fetoprotein AFP is a screening test that's usually done 16 to 20 weeks of gestation to, to determine of twins or defect low birth weight or serious birth defects such as neural tube defects. A normal level is zero to 44. Increased level might show cirrhosis of the liver, hepatitis, spina bifida, fetal disease, fetal distress, and Turner's syndrome. For a decreased level in AFP, clinical picture might show Down syndrome or absence of pregnancy. The second tumor marker on our list is going to be CA19-9. Cancer tumor marker CA19-9 is a cancer antigen in aiding the diagnosis of pancreatic, hepatobiliary, gastric, and colorectal cancers. A normal level for this is less than 40. When you have a decreased level, then this signifies and it shows us that the treatment we are using is, is being effective. So it's, if it's decreasing and slowly trending to less than 40, then it's showing that whatever we are doing to treat this cancer, it's working. The next tumor marker is CEA, carcinoembryonic antigen. It has been found in the GI epithelium of embryos and has been extracted from tumors in the adult GI tract. A normal level is less than four. When this tumor marker is increased, it shows GI tract, esophageal, stomach, small or large intestine, or rectum cancer. It's also found in leukemia or ulcer ulcerative colitis. Next one is PAP, prostatic acid phosphatase. It originates in the prostate and is normally present in small amounts in the blood. A normal level is anywhere between zero and three. Any increased level, it's going to be a predictor of prostate cancer, testicular cancers, leukemias, and non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. The last tumor marker is PSA, prostate-specific antigen. It's always pre present in low concentrations in the blood and a level above four shows an increase in the potentiality of prostate cancer. The next section we're going to go over vitamins. We don't necessarily always check for vitamins unless some kind of a malnutrition issue or really trying to get into, into the core of a specific problem that maybe we can't, we can't treat or it's like an outpatient issue that, that isn't necessarily always life-threatening, but there's something going on with, with a patient and we can't really figure out why. Maybe it's some kind of a vitamin deficiency. The first vitamin on our list is going to be folate. Folate is one of the B vitamins and is needed to make red and white blood cells in the bone marrow. Also converts carbohydrates into energy 
and produces DNA and RNA. A normal level is between 7 and 36. An increased level, you might be having pernicious anemia, which is a deficiency in red blood cells caused by lack of vitamin B12. With decreased levels, you might be having folic acid anemia, vitamin B6 deficiency anemia, malnutrition, malabsorption syndrome, which affects the small intestines. You also might be pregnant or have liver disease. The next vitamin is vitamin A. It is a fat-soluble vitamin that is absorbed from the intestines in the presence of lipase and bile. Vitamin A moves to the liver and then is stored in the body as retinol. Vitamin A is important for normal vision, immune system function, reproduction, and the growth and development of the human body. A normal level is 30 to 65. Increased levels are showing just high amounts of vitamins or chronic kidney disease because it's not being extracted. Decreased levels might show issues such as night blindness, liver, intestinal, or pancreatic disease, chronic infections, cystic fibrosis, protein malnutrition, malabsorption, or celiac disease. Vitamin B6 is next. Vitamin B6, also known as paradoxine, is a water-soluble vitamin that your body needs for several, several metabolic functions. It's significant to protein, fat, and carbohydrate metabolism, and the creation of red blood cells and neurotransmitters. Normal level is anywhere between 5 and 30. A decreased level might be due to malnutrition, chronic alcoholism, gestational diabetes, pregnancy, lactation, small bowel inflammatory disease, or even renal failure. Next one is vitamin B12. It is a nutrient that helps keep the body's nerve and blood cells healthy and helps make DNA, the genetic material in all cells. A normal B12 also helps prevent types of anemias. A normal level is 130 to 700. Decreased levels of B12 might signify pernicious anemia, malabsorption syndrome, liver disease, hypothyroidism, pancreatic insufficiency, Crohn's disease, and increased levels might show acute hepatitis and leukemia. Vitamin C, also has ascorbic acid, is a water-soluble vitamin important for deformation of collagen, certain amino acids, for wound healing, and for withstanding stress, injury, and infection. A normal level is anywhere between 0.4 and 1.5. For decreased levels, you might be having scurvy, malabsorption, might be pregnant, might have cancer, or undergoing severe burns. The last vitamin is vitamin D. It is a fat-soluble vitamin occurring from the exposure of ultraviolet rays of sunlight and is absorbed in the presence of bile and stored in the liver. Vitamin D helps regulate the amount of calcium and phosphate in the body. These nutrients are needed to keep bones, teeth, and muscles healthy. A normal vitamin D is 5 to 75. Decreased levels might show a clinical picture of malabsorption, cirrhosis of the liver, rickets, osteomalacia, hypoparathyroidism, celiac disease, and inflammatory bowel disease. The last set of labs we're going to go over are our miscellaneous. These might be relevant in some cases or just because we're living in the United States. We, we suffer different kinds of issues or get certain, med certain kind of medications. So this you might not see all the time, but it's also good to know. It might be on your NCLEX or one of your exams. The first one is rheumatoid factor. RF factor is a screening test used to detect antibodies, for example, IgM, IgG, or Ig. This is a predictor of basically rheumatoid arthritis. So normal level is anything less than 25. And increased level is going to show you rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, tuberculosis, or even leukemia. The next one is ESR, erythrocyte sedimation rate. It's a type of blood test that measures the rate of how quickly erythrocytes, your RBCs, settle in unclotted blood in millimeters per hour. It could show inflammation in your body. A normal level is greater than two, which is millimeters per hour. If you have increased levels of ESR, it might signify rheumatoid arthritis, rheumatic fever, AMI, Hodgkin's disease, multiple myeloma, bacterial endocarditis, gout, and hepatitis. Decreased levels in ESR might signify polycythemia vera, heart failure, sickle cell anemia, and factor five deficiency. Next one on this list is going to be ACE. The ACE test measures the levels of angiotensin-converting enzyme in the blood. A normal level is between 20 and 50. An increased level, you might be seeing sarcoidosis, 
diabetes mellitus, hypothyroidism, or respiratory distress, distress syndromes. A decreased level might be significant in the treatment of sarcoidosis as it's going to show improvement also with diabetes mellitus and also hypothyroidism. The last one is lead. This is more for poison control issues in cases. It is found in lead-based paint, unglazed pottery, batteries, and leaded gasoline. A normal level is less than 25. Higher levels can signify kidney and nervous system damage. And that's a really big, really big and really good overview of all the significant labs you're going to deal with in nursing school for your NCLEX and also as a nurse. As, as a nurse, I guess it depends on what unit you are you are in that's going to kind of signify which signif signify which labs you're going to kind of know more and know less. And like if you work in like a cardiac unit, you're going to obviously work a lot with the with the cardiac markers, all those kind of things. And if you're maybe doing like med surge, you might be a little bit more like electrolytes, some of your basic standard labs. But this this episode was just a giant list of all labs and why they're important and the, their clinical ranges. Exactly. And the better you get as a nurse, the more experience you get, the more you critically think. And you'll start picking up on which lab values you need for what cases, for what disease processes, because you're not always going to need every single thing from top and bottom of the doctor orders. You leave that for them to troubleshoot and diagnose the patient. You just worry about the main ones that you need to survive your shift, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And shameless plug. If you want to see the show notes for these, if you want to see all these labs written out, some little bit more information about these labs, you can go on a couplenurses.com and just check out our whole site. It's a giant big resource for anything nursing related. But if you want the actual written version of, of this episode, make sure you go on couplenurses.com and check our show notes. Peace, guys. Bye.